Do you have a tricky work problem that you need to solve? I have a great podcast recommendation for you featuring a pair of expert women. Whether you're just starting your career or a seasoned professional, check out Fixable, a podcast from TED. Hosted by Harvard professor Frances Fry and her wife, leadership coach Ann Morris, the brilliant duo provide honest, actionable advice to help you navigate everything from a gaslighting manager to returning to work after parental leave. They'll leave you feeling empowered and ready to act. Listen to Fixable wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Bossed Up, the podcast, episode 24. I'm your host, Bossed Up's founder and CEO, Emily Aries. And before we dive into today's episode, I want to let you in on a fun summer giveaway that we are launching today throughout the month of June. I don't know about y'all, but I am a big podcast listener and also a big traveler. So one of the things that has made my podcast life exponentially better is a pair of noise-canceling Bose headphones. Y'all, if you have not tried these yet, you have got to get yourself some because you flip that little switch on your headphones and all of a sudden the crying baby two aisles over no longer exists. The sound of the airplane fades into nothing or if you're on a metro or if you are just trying to get into the zone, whether it's with your music or your favorite podcast, they are the bomb. And we are gifting one lucky listener a pair of their own this month as a thank you for weighing in with your review on Apple Podcasts. That's right. If you give us a review in Apple Podcasts, something that really helps us not only improve the show and it makes me all warm and fuzzy inside because I read each and every one myself, but also it helps other listeners discover Bossed Up. And that is something we're really focused on this month. So thank you in advance for your kind reviews. To enter the giveaway and get all the details, head to bossedup.org slash giveaway and follow the easy instructions there on exactly how to leave your review and enter to win. Good luck. All right, let's dive right into today's episode. Today we are talking about the oh-so-uncomfortable but also oh-so-necessary part of growing and improving as a professional and especially as a leader. And it really has to do with accepting that F word we all hate so much, accepting feedback. Now, feedback, we all know it's good for you. It's like the medicine you're supposed to take to become a better version of yourself. But nobody likes getting it. I mean, I, for one, am an overachiever, gold star loving, positive reinforcement, please and thank you kind of gal. And I get red in the cheeks when I get negative feedback. I can't help it. My heart drops into the pit of my stomach and I start to get tunnel vision and my palms get sweaty. Negative feedback is no fun. And a lot of times as leaders, we read articles and books and watch videos all about how to give feedback in a way that makes the person on the receiving end not freak out. (laughs) And guess what? It almost never works because even when you say, hey, here's something you're doing well, here's something you're not doing so well, and here's another thing you're doing really well, that sort of sandwich method doesn't really work to buffer the impact of negative feedback. So when my bestie from college, a PhD getting boss lady in STEM, 
who is up in Boston, Vanessa, shout out to Vanessa, my college bestie. When she said to me, Emily, I'm reading this book all about feedback. You would love it. And FYI, it has changed not only the way I work, but the way that I give and receive feedback in my relationship. I knew I had to get my hands on this book. So I immediately primed myself a paperback of the book called Thanks for the Feedback, co-authored by Sheila Heen and Douglas Stone. And let me tell you, this book really lives up to those expectations. So today we're going to dive into how to receive feedback without taking it so personally with the expert herself, Sheila Heen. And this whole conversation, of course, was inspired by a career conundrum from a listener like you, who you'll hear from right after this quick break and a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by General Assembly's NYC Campus. I'm all about helping women navigate their career like a boss. And one of our community members, Nina, did just that with the help of General Assembly. After taking a web development course, Nina transitioned from paralegal to full-time developer. Over the past six months, almost 10,000 individuals have taken their first step toward a new career at GA New York. Are you ready to start learning? Head to ga.co slash classes and get 30% off your first class with code GABOSS. And we're back. And here's the career conundrum that India called in with that inspired today's conversation on feedback. Hey, Emily, this is India Hextall calling from Washington, D.C., and I just have a career question for you, and I'm just wondering, what are your thoughts on making sure that you don't take, like, feedback or anything that, like, doesn't go your way at your job personally, um, just to make sure that, like, you aren't establishing or developing a toxic relationship with your supervisor? How do you address um, things that you guys might not agree on? in a professional manner, and how do you take whatever they say back to you like it's not a reflection of who you are? I would appreciate your insight and whatever you have to say. Thank you. India, thank you so much for calling in with this on-point career conundrum. Joining me on the podcast to help break it down is Sheila Heen, best-selling author, founder of Triad Consulting, and Sheila has spent the last 20 years or so working with the Harvard Negotiation Project, developing negotiation theory and practice because she specializes in having particularly difficult negotiations, ones where emotions run high, relationships become stressed, and it's just not an easy thing to navigate. So she and her co-author, Douglas Stone, first penned their book, Difficult Conversations, in the 90s, and more recently, Thanks for the Feedback, which we're going to dive into today. She's been featured on everything from Oprah to NPR's Diane Rehm show to Fox News, NPR's Money Market, CNBC's Power Lunch, and now the one and only Bossed Up podcast. Sheila Heen, thank you for being here today. I am totally delighted to be here. So, Sheila, your excellent book, which I have been reading, it's been by my nightstand for the past few weeks, called Thanks for the Feedback, which you co-authored with Douglas Stone. It's really all about this question that India has, which is not only how can we give feedback, but how on earth can we receive feedback effectively? How can we receive feedback even feedback that's off base and unfair and poorly delivered. Yes. In the subtitle, we are just not in the mood. India is so where all of us are at 
right? Sometimes when people have those helpful little unsolicited suggestions for us, and I think it's easy to think of feedback as just sort of the formal performance review type stuff. And of course, we're talking about that. But but India has it right, which is that so often it's the informal stuff. It's the indirect feedback. Sometimes it's unsolicited tips that people have for you. So it's not just the formal feedback process, performance reviews, et cetera. It's also just everyday interaction where people have suggestions or are giving us a message that's indirect or even unspoken, right? They didn't respond to my email. Should I take that personally? Is this about me or are they just busy? Exactly. And I almost can feel that hot redness in your face that comes up sometimes when you're feeling insulted or your your credentials are called into question or all of a sudden you're getting this feedback that makes me at least totally flushed, totally flustered sometimes. And that visceral response is so common. I hear from a lot of folks you know, not only how do I give feedback so that my person on the receiving end, maybe it's my staff, maybe it's my partner, maybe it's my boss, doesn't completely shut down and freak out, but how do you prevent yourself from shutting down and freaking out? Yeah. And, you know, I think that the bottom line is that we have a conflicted relationship with the feedback that we get. I mean, on the one hand, most of us do want to learn and grow. That's why we listen to this podcast, right? <laughs> to learn new stuff. And, and, So sometimes when someone gives you a piece of advice or a coach or you hire someone to help you, feedback does feel like the gift that we're constantly being told that it is. And we're we're very grateful for it. And in fact, it can be exciting. It can be fun to watch yourself get better at something. The problem is that we bump into this second pretty core human need, which is the need to be accepted and respected and maybe even loved the way we are now. And the very fact of feedback can suggest that how I am now is not totally okay with the people around me. (laughs) They want a few upgrades, right? Yes. That's so interesting because it's at the core of the bossed up philosophy that we can balance our ambition to be better, to keep striving with self-acceptance and self-love. And that duality seems to be at play when it comes to feedback, right? It's exactly at play. And so, and sometimes honestly, the hardest feedback and the most painful feedback is the feedback we have for ourselves. When we feel like we let ourselves down or, oh my gosh, I so knew better than this. I can't believe I made this mistake again. So one of the insights I found most helpful and was really at the core of your book is understanding and unpacking the triggers that come up for folks on the receiving end of feedback. Can you tell us about some of those triggers and why understanding them can really help? Yeah. So, and this gets right to the heart of what India is asking. So what we found is that um, when feedback is incoming, human beings have three kinds of triggered reactions to that feedback. The first is what we call truth triggers. Is this accurate? Is this true about me? Is this good advice or bad advice? Would it work? Does it fully understand the context, et cetera? So it's all about evaluating the quality of the feedback itself. The second kind of trigger, though, is a relationship trigger. And this has everything to do with who gave you the feedback. All feedback really lives in the relationship between giver and receiver. And so I can have a much bigger reaction to the who than to the what. If I don't like them, I don't respect them, I don't trust them, I don't want to be like them, why would I listen to them? 
It almost reminds me of the don't kill the messenger concept, right? Totally. Well, and this is why your best friend can tell you things that nobody else can, but it's also sometimes why the people closest to us can't get through to us in the same way that someone a little further out, like an acquaintance can. Yeah. So a stranger can tell us something that maybe the people around us have been trying to tell us for years. I know. But we just hear it differently. Right? This somehow always upsets Brad, my partner. We were just this weekend starting our planting for the season. We made this planter box and I have a bit of a black thumb that I've been working on, turning it more into a green thumb over the past few years. And he said to me, you know, Denver is so dry and so hot. We might want to put mulch on top of the planter box to sort of protect our plants or retain some more water. And I said, yeah, sure, whatever. I didn't argue with him. And then I went for a jog And I came back, this was a day later, and I said, Brad, our neighbors, they all have mulch on their planter boxes. What a great idea. And he was like, hello, I just had that idea and you didn't listen to me. But now that it's validated. No, the the neighbors are much more credible than he is on this front, right? Right. Yeah. So it's really interesting. I think it has to do with that wine to be accepted and respected and loved thing, uh, maybe. But part of the challenge of feedback is trying to separate the who from the what, because the people mm-hmm. we find most difficult sometimes are actually our most valuable players in our own learning. Right. Yeah. But we should talk about the third kind of trigger. Absolutely. Which is what we call identity triggers and identity triggers have everything to do with the story we tell about who we are, who we want to be. And also they have to do with the way that we're wired, our particular sensitivity to feedback. So one of the things that India is bringing up is the tendency to take it personally, quote unquote. And in the course of the work on the Thanks for the Feedback book, what we found is that in terms of how upset people get and how long it takes us to recover, individual sensitivity can vary by up to 3,000%. Wow. So now we're all in organizations and on teams working together, right? And you've got the huge range of of people who are really highly sensitive and almost anything that happens, they're going to take as feedback and it very quickly grows from actual size to getting supersized. Like it's not that I made one mistake. It's that I'm a total disaster and I've never done anything right in my life. Right. And in that state, you actually cannot learn till you can really see the feedback at actual size. And then at the other end of the spectrum, you have people who are relatively insensitive or undersensitive, perhaps we should say. (laughs) And it's not better to be that way. It's just a different set of challenges. And one of the challenges for people who are undersensitive is that they don't realize people are giving them feedback. Mm -hmm. You know, someone says, hey, you know, India does it this way. And they're like, well, good for India. Who cares? You know, they don't realize if it's not really direct, they really don't get that it's feedback. And so it's not that these triggered reactions are going to go away. It's that when we have a triggered reaction, we tend to be all or nothing. Like I'm having a reaction to that feedback. It doesn't seem true. I don't even like who it's from. That isn't who I am. And we toss the whole thing out. And the trouble with wrong spotting is that you'll always be able to find something wrong with the feedback that you get. And in fact, it could be 90% wrong. And that last 10% might be just what you need to start thinking about. So I don't think what they're suggesting would work. And that's not the kind of person I would want to be maybe, but they're pointing out something that's maybe a bigger issue than I thought. So I, maybe I need to give that a little bit more attention and figure out how do I want to handle that? Yeah. It's not all or nothing. And one of the nuggets of wisdom that I got from your TED talk, your TEDx talk, 
which is all about this process of accepting feedback more effectively, is you don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? You can, when you understand what's triggering you, instead of making this knee-jerk rejection or acceptance reaction, you can give yourself some time to process in a really practical way. Let's say you have an annual review, India, and you're really unhappy or triggered by some of this feedback. Instead of making that flippant sort of knee-jerk decision of whether to accept or reject it all, to step back, to understand through the truth bias, the relationship bias, and the identity bias, what parts of this are really getting your cheeks hot, right? Totally. And the triggered reactions don't go away. So the, the skill is actually to let go of the immediate desire to decide, do I agree with this or do I not agree with this? Am right. I going to accept it or reject it? And instead, sit in that triggered reaction and think, well, the first step is I've got to understand the feedback. And the challenge with understanding the feedback is that feedback usually arrives in the form of these really vague phrases or labels like, hey, India, be great if you could step it up next time, or we'd love to see you be more responsive, or you got to work on your people skills. There's nothing more annoying than that yeah. feedback, right? Yeah. Or you need to be more confident. Uh. <laughs> Well, this is helping. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. I'm feeling more confident already. Right. So the problem is that those phrases or words don't necessarily mean anything. So what are you supposed to do then? How do you lean into the discomfort there, which is such a sociology term, but sitting with that trigger, how do we learn from the feedback when it's that vague? I think the key is just being totally transparent about where you're at. And so I would simply say, wow, that's surprising. That's not the way I think of myself, but first, maybe I'm not understanding what you're saying. So help me understand, what do you mean by confident? So you can ask questions with the goal of understanding the feedback, and you can even be explicit that I don't know if I agree with this or, or disagree with this yet, but I probably don't yet understand what you mean. Right. So the challenge to see what your giver is trying to tell you and the yeah. challenge to see yourself accurately, because they may see things about you that you don't is the first set of skills in the conversation. So you can ask questions either looking backward, where is this coming from? Like, what have you watched me do? Or what effect did it have? Or what do you expect me to do that I didn't do? Or you can ask questions looking forward into the future. If I were to follow your advice to be more responsive or to step it up, what specifically would I do differently? And that question, the forward-looking question, is actually sometimes an easier one for me to ask when I'm feeling defensive. Yep. And in a way, it puts the onus on the feedback giver to clarify, and it shows that you're open as a feedback receiver to understand and learn from that, not be defensive. Like, there is a natural inclination to defend yourself that I almost hear in India's question, right? Absolutely. A piece of her question was, and how do you handle it professionally when you don't agree with the feedback? And this is exactly the skill set or the move to make, which is to say, wow, that surprises me. I'm not sure I'm understanding what you mean. So say more. And you're signaling really clearly, I'm not agreeing or disagreeing yet, but I'm negotiating myself into a place of curiosity to just first try to understand. And that is both a sign of confidence and incredibly professional to be curious about, huh, so you see something I don't see yet. Help me understand that So because I always want to be better. One of our participants at Boston Bootcamp once said, 
she heard this sort of phrase that she keeps in mind, get curious, not furious. And that serves her really well. Yeah, it's a great one. It also reminds me, I was in Brussels a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about this struggle to see yourself or see what might be true about feedback that you get. And one of the guys said, yeah, essentially the truth will set you free, but first it's going to piss you off. (laughs) Yes, so true. Well, I want to dig deeper there for a second, because in this era of fake news, I feel like everyone's truth has its own merits, but also can look really different based on who's observing who here. And for a lot of women who I work with, especially women leaders on the rise, we run up against unconscious bias, especially women of color, who when you're basically doing the same exact thing that a very male and very pale leader could get away with, they sometimes get feedback or we women sometimes get feedback that we're being so emotional or harsh or shrill or brash. What do we do when the feedback we're getting to us seems seeped in unconscious bias, either on gender, race, or what have you? How do you deal with that level of your truth is not my truth? Yeah. Well, and so then I would say a couple of things. One is, it is true sometimes that my behavior is seen differently than the same behavior from someone else. And then what we need to add to that is that for women, often it's just more complicated. I mean, let's just talk about dress code. Nobody's going to sit a guy down and be like, you know, Bill, you wore the sand khakis when the stone colored khakis were really what was called for here, right? (laughs) Like nobody, there's just not as many ways that they can be off. But for me to walk into a meeting with a new client that I don't yet know very well to read the culture, to know among the choices in my closet, what the heck am I going to do to help convey to them that I understand the world that they live in? Women also just have more complicated choices. And so we're exposed to more opportunities to misstep or misjudge or for someone to take it differently. So, so what that means is that um, there is some research suggesting that women get more critical feedback or coaching than men. <laughs> And so I think in terms of what to do when that happens, I think your your best bet is to go to that place of curiosity to say, so help me understand how you think about this. Yeah. Because at least in my own mind, I think that I am doing the same thing that Bill is, or I hear Bill often asking challenging questions or speaking up or arguing for his point of view. In my own mind, I'm trying to be as effective right? and doing it in the same way. However, it sounds like you're saying either my read of how I'm doing it is off or it has a different impact coming from me. And can you just help me understand that? Yeah. Because the bottom line is I don't want to be Bill. Right. That's not the point. The point is I want to be effective. Right. Interesting. But saying, I think I'm trying to be effective in the same way, but you, I probably am not aware of some of the impacts it's having, et cetera. And so I'm interested in understanding that and getting your coaching. Yeah. And I also feel like there's an element to feedback where let's say you, you sit in that discomfort, you process the triggers. At the end of the day, you analyze whether this is true, whether the messenger is the right person and whether this jives with your identity. And still at the end of the day, you can decide whether to internalize that feedback and adapt or not. What do you say about that decision-making part of receiving feedback? 
Yeah. Well, so that's the bottom line, which is a couple of things. Number one, as the receiver, honestly, you're in charge. At the end of the day, you get to decide what you're going to take in and what sense you make of it and whether and how you want to change. Yeah. The second is, I think it's now to go back to an all or nothing. Either I have to change who I am in the ways that they're suggesting and accept it wholesale or reject it and do everything exactly the same. When I, in my own experience, usually where I end up landing is either, well, this isn't my biggest problem right now, but I'll put it on the list. Yeah. <laughs> or I don't think what they're suggesting would work, but maybe I want to experiment with a small piece of it in a lower stakes context and just test it out for yeah. myself and think if I were to integrate that into my repertoire of how I handle situations, how could I start experimenting with it and see what happens so yeah. that it's much more iterative and adaptive than I either take the advice or I reject the advice. That there is room for gray. It's not always a black and white issue. I like it's that. always a black and white issue. And also you need to make it your own color. <laughs> you know, you need to, if you think it's worth experimenting with, well, then you need to figure out how would I make it who I am yeah. or who I want to be, who I'm becoming. Right. So I love I love what you're mentioning about this iterative process. It's something I'm actually writing about in my book, which I'm in the process of finishing right now, in adapting what I call a boss identity, right? How to adapt your own leadership identity. And it seems like you allude often in your book to the research behind the growth mindset from Carol Dweck. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? And for somebody who has challenges with accepting feedback and not being crushed by it, how can she, whether it's India or someone else listening, adapt more of a growth mindset and seek out feedback without her entire worthiness on the line every time? So you're exactly right. Carol Dweck out at Stanford talks about the difference between a fixed mindset. Like I am who I am. I'm as smart as I am or am not. <laughs> I'm as competent as I am or yeah. am not. Or a growth mindset, which is I am who I am now, but I'm always learning and changing and adapting. So part of what has been helpful to me about Carol's work is recognizing I'm also not all or nothing with fixed and growth. Like I can fall right into the fixed mindset where feedback is verdict on who I am and whether I am up to the task or will ever be up to the task. And I have to remind myself in that moment, no, this isn't the whole story about who I am. Mm. Sometimes doing what we call a containment chart can help. What is this feedback about? And what is this not about? Yeah. So this feedback is about whether I did a good enough job responding to the client and integrating their language into the session we did together. It's not about whether the session had impact, regardless of my screw up. It's not about whether I'm a good person. It's not about whether I'm a good parent, right? And so helping me look at not just what is this about and what isn't this about, that just helps me contain it yeah. rather than let it overflow its borders. Yeah. The other thing is to remember to give myself a second score, that what matters most is not the first score, quote unquote, meaning what happened now? Did I succeed or fail? I also get a second score for how I handle the feedback and the ways in which I use it to fuel my own growth. So mm -hmm. we, we created this phrase second score because I might get an F on this exam, but the most important 
grade is the grade I get six months from now? Do I get an A and how I use this experience? Yeah. It's almost like the difference between the MVP trophy and the MIP, the most improved player. Absolutely. Like, did I use the feedback as a catalyst to learn something about myself or about how to be more effective? It's so funny because for me, I appreciate you referencing how you can be open to feedback. You can have a growth mindset and then boom, you can also fall right back into the fixed rate mindset. For me, the messenger always makes a huge difference in that. And I'll give you an example. You're a professor at Harvard, right? So I don't know if you stumble across Marshall Gans at the Kennedy School ever, but I talk often about how I had the privilege to serve as one of his community fellows almost a decade ago and take a class on community organizing while I was a community organizer, serving on then on the Obama campaign. And I remember I was commuting up from Providence. I had foot surgery mid-semester, so I was crutching through snow on Harvard's campus. And I, I gave this class my all, but I wasn't by any means putting in A-plus work. And at the very end of the semester, I got a comment from the professor himself on my paper. And by the way, this class changed my life. It changed the course of my career. And on that piece of paper from someone who I'd never gotten around to going to office hours to because the line was always out the door and I had to get back to Providence before rush hour. He wrote, I'm really disappointed that you didn't take this opportunity, you know, and run with it in the way that I think you could have. And he just gave me this, this one sentence that, I mean, I was sobbing in the classroom the last day of the semester talking to my TA, like, look at this. What does this mean? And I'm so disappointed. I let down him. I let down myself. I was crushed. And I thought, what am I supposed to do with this feedback? And it was, it was like my entire life, career, academic performance up until that point meant nothing. Because in that moment, the messenger behind that one piece of feedback just crushed me and put me right back in that fixed trait mindset of thinking, I can't do this. Like he knows and I don't know and I can't ever know. You know, it it feels like a verdict about who you are and who you can ever be. Exactly. And I'm happy to say that was a decade ago and that I was so inspired by that class. It informs everything I've done with Bossed Up, my company. It's informed how I started my company. And I I should probably get around to writing him a note (laughs) one of these days. (laughs) You should write him a note. I'm so disappointed you haven't been on my podcast yet. (laughs) Yeah. I should, but it's just a good reminder for anyone listening who feels like I'm just the kind of person who takes feedback personally, that it's not about what you did in that first grade. It's about how you use what you learned there. And so you totally get an A for what you did with what you learned. Oh my gosh. Thank you. The type A overachiever report card loving person in me feels like you just gave me a gold star. So I'll take it. So what helped you actually in that moment of being crushed. I think taking a step back and understanding um, the messenger, I I don't think I handled it really well in that moment because I ended up rejecting his feedback and saying, he doesn't actually know me. You know, the, the the real shame of the matter was I never made it to office hours. I tried and failed often. And at the end of the day, I can't really internalize this verdict at all because I decided he didn't know me. And that helped me get past it, but I didn't examine it. I didn't lean into it. I didn't understand that what he was really giving me a verdict about was my paper. And I should have been more curious there instead of furious and devastated. 
because my TA was giving me really different feedback. She knew me really closely, or at least I felt much more understood by her. But I think the the lesson was almost in resilience and perseverance. And I was already so burnt out from working an organizer job, commuting up to Boston twice a week, going through some really challenging relationship issues at the time and being on crutches. I was just like, I can't deal with this right now. So what do you say almost to timeliness? Because you already mentioned urgency. Maybe this isn't the most urgent piece of feedback I need to act on. So how does feedback differ in terms of when we receive it? And what can folks do if feedback comes in at the wrong time? <laughs> yeah, well, and and it does always seem to come at exactly the wrong time when we just don't have the capacity or the resources to handle it the way that we otherwise would handle it. Yeah. Right? And I think this is one of the places where our friends are most valuable. And, you know, we reach out to our friends while sobbing, right? Anyway. Yeah. yeah. And, and we go out and get a glass of wine and we spend the time venting about what's wrong with the feedback that we got, right? Like, how am I supposed to do this? I'm on crutches. I'm commuting. I'm actually doing the freaking work, which is why I don't have time to go to office hours. And so our friends serve as what we call supportive mirrors for us. They hold up a picture of us when we're at our best, you yes. know, on a good hair day under flattering light. And they're like, <laughs> you are amazing. Don't worry about what he says. Yes. You know, this is not really about you. It's about him. And that is actually a really important function for our friends to play to help us get some perspective on the feedback. Mm-hmm. The, the problem is that we please stop there and we lose the opportunity to invite our friends to help us with a second question when we're ready, which is, okay, is there anything that might be right about this feedback? Do you think there's anything here I do have to learn? Is there a 10%? Because sometimes our friends can help us see things that kind of sit in a blind spot for us. Yeah. That is the thing that maybe we could take away that's valuable from the experience, but our friends need our permission to do that. We call it being an honest mirror. Yeah. An honest mirror shows you what you look like right now when maybe you're not at your best and there's something to learn. I love that. And, you know, the actions you're inspiring our listeners to take right now are courageous ones. You're asking people to be brave in asking those meaningful questions. But it's because on the other side of that bravery is learning and growth and actual progress in our professional and personal lives. I could talk to you all day, clearly. But as a final question, why bother? What's in it for the feedback requester? And why should we all ask for more feedback and especially more critical feedback more often? Yeah. From my point of view, what has changed for me since doing this work is if I can get better at receiving feedback, which is a whole discrete set of leadership skills, if I can get better at soliciting and receiving feedback, I actually can take charge of my own learning. I can take charge of it and I can accelerate it because I don't have to wait around for the perfect mentor to show up. I don't have to trade in the people in my life who are terrible givers <laughs> and upgrade to get better givers in my life, better friends and family and coworkers, a better boss. I actually can figure out how to learn from the givers I've got. And yeah. that's hugely empowering. Love it. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Sheila. I know India has to have gotten a lot out of this, and I hope all of the rest of our listeners who will inevitably get 
and hopefully solicit feedback can learn a lot too. Whether or not you ask for it, we're all going to get it. I love so it. We might as well take charge of it. Absolutely. It's been really a delight. Thank you for having me. And now it's time for this week's Boss Moves Moment of the Week. Hi, Emily. This is SJ in DC. This week, I stood up for my supervisor by vocalizing to her supervisor how him and the other higher-ups in our department taking her away from standing appointments with our team was really detrimental to me, the only remote worker on our team. Everyone else fortunately gets the FaceTime with her when our appointments and meetings do get canceled, but being the only one not in the same office, I have missed out on a lot of valuable FaceTime with her to get questions answered that I really, really need, especially as someone new to our department and the job itself. So she was very, very appreciative when I told her that I had told her supervisor actually in a fit of passion when our meeting was canceled once again, that it was very unfair that she was constantly being taken away from FaceTime with her team. So that was my boss step move of the week, standing up for myself and my supervisor. Love the show. Thank you so much. Way to go, SJ. Talk about bossing up. You were leveling up by a few leaps and bounds there. And isn't it interesting that in advocating for someone else, in this case, your direct supervisor, you're also advocating for yourself. So I love that. What a double whammy of being a boss. Congratulations. Keep us in the loop. Let us know how things turn out because you never know who you are inspiring when you share your come up story. That's all we got for y'all in today's episode. Make sure to share this episode with the boss women in your world who you know could use it. In fact, I would love to hear from you on the topics we covered today. How does feedback feel for you? Have you ever had a boss that was particularly good at giving constructive feedback? How so? And if you have found any tips and tricks for how to receive feedback in a way that doesn't leave you in a spiral of shame and guilt and questioning your own capabilities, I want to hear from you. Shoot me a tweet at BossedUpOrg or Emily Aries. Or join us on Facebook in the Bossed Up Courage community where the best conversations happen after each episode. In the meantime, keep bossing in pursuit of your purpose and together we will lift as we climb. Let's face it, speaking up at work can be really hard to do, especially for women and women of color. When the stakes are high and you've already worked so hard to just be the only woman in the room and you want to get everything right, you want to have all your facts and figures accurate before making your voice heard, it's just so much easier to stay silent instead. Researcher Deb Chahansky calls this loss of voice phenomenon. And it actually emerges in adolescent women at greater rates than men. And it sticks with us for the rest of our lives. Self-silencing behavior can actually become an unconscious habit unless we consciously engage in practicing our assertive communication skills. And we here at Bossed Up have set out to help women like you do just that. 
Speak Up, my live assertive communication course is back open for enrollment, and we're kicking off a new cohort launching this June. Over the course of eight life-changing weeks, you'll have access to interactive online curriculum and live weekly practice sessions where you, Irene and I, and a cohort of fellow Speak Up bosses who are owning their voice, overcoming the social messages that have taught us to keep silent, and really learning to strategically and assertively communicate when it matters most, we'll actually have the practice time to rewire our brains, create new neural pathways, and build better habits when it comes to speaking up with confidence and precision and assertively communicating in the workplace. Learn more and enroll today to secure your spot at bossedup.org speakup. That's bossedup.org speakup.